1: Hello, it's a goal! Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so it's almost time for the new season to begin. FPL managers everywhere are furiously creating and ripping apart team drafts, and we're here with our final prod of pre season to talk unwritten rules of FPL, plus a few other things. Just quickly before we get into it, we're Who Got The Assist and you can find us online at who got whogotassist.com and also on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL. We're also on millions of pod websites, such as SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, we're probably there. So make sure you subscribe if you're listening to us and you, you haven't done that yet. I'm joined today by two folk. Uh, the first, of course, is Nick. How are you doing, mate?
2: Everything's fine, thank you. Um, we've had our taste of the new season um, with the charity and community shield and now I think we're ready and raring for the season to start. I um, just want to say welcome to all new listeners and also say if you're a brand new listener, there's three pods out there already that you might find useful, which are A to W of FPL teams previews, plus our look at the positions in FPL.
1: Cheers Brozovic, and we're also joined today for this final All Systems Go pod by a world traveller, Spanish football expert and young blogger nominee, it's the Hibernian Tones of FPL Stag. Uh, Welcome back to WGTA mate, Uh, why don't you do a quick intro to remind listeners who you are and how you come to be on our podcast this evening.
0: Hey guys, how are you getting on? Lovely to be on again. Um, so, yeah, you guys may know me as FPL Stag. I'm uh, an Irish student. I write for Roto World. I do a weekly column for them called Stag's Take, where I just wax lyrical about FPL for whatever big debates there are in the community that week and whatever captaincy decisions there are to make. I, I write about that every single game week. And I've met Tom in real life twice, and that's why I find myself on this podcast today, I presume. <laughs> and we're yeah, also it's doing it's this great, yeah, no. big collaboration at the moment. <laughs>
2: Yeah, thanks, Dag, and um, welcome back to the pod from me too. So on today's pod, uh, we're going to talk about the unwritten rules of FPL. And then for a couple of wider discussion points on the game on the evening of the new campaign kicking off, we figure all the player X versus player Y questions are being covered in depth everywhere. So we wanted to give you something different before talking. Zombie teams are all England 11 and a final look at how our teams are as they stand now, I'm sure they're going to change loads by the time the actual
1: deadline arrives, what with all the last-minute transfers and whatnot. Yeah, inevitably all the last-minute kind of injury stories. Anyway, uh, thanks, Nick. Uh, let's get on with it, guys, then. Uh, just say that those who are here for lots of stats, we've really done those, as Nick just mentioned. There are free podcasts online already. You can find them on our website or on whatever you're listening to us to now. Find those if you want to listen to those sorts of things. But this is kind of a metapod to talk about fpl in general in the game overall on some rules then guys this is an interesting bit now we know there's a lot of people doing 10 commandments sorts of things Uh, a lot of people kind of looking at uh, you know advice the 10 kind of guiding principles of fpl this is a little bit different and this is kind of the thing that you see people like advice you give people on social media very very often on the forums very very often and it's just kind of quite concise statements that i think uh, debate the merits of and i think they fall into three kind of general buckets which are transfers there's five rules about that benching there's two rules about that and general strategy there's two rules about that that's nine rules i think we should probably get into it with transfers first because transfers is obviously one of the The most active parts of the game, apart from changing your captain and setting your bench, transfers is the one where you interact with your team week to week, and it's probably the one thing that you think most about other than your captain choice. Um, There's five rules here that we kind of thought about today, didn't we? I think the first one is don't do rage transfers. And James Eggersdorf was interviewed by FPL Connect uh, not very long ago. He found it surprising that people would ever do a transfer like ruled by emotion, but ruled by being drunk or something like that. Rage transfers then, guys. Do you think this is true? You shouldn't uh, ever do a rage transfer? I think it's human nature, really, isn't it? What you do is always ruled
2: by emotion. Your decisions are always ruled by emotion. So you might watch a particular football match, you might have Aguero in and you might see him miss a sitter. And you're just going to be furious and you're going to rage transfer that guy out. And you're going to perhaps watch the next game and see Harry Kane score a goal. And it's it's tough because you'll forget the fact that you just saw Aguero score a brace against Chelsea, for instance. And if you blanked against Arsenal... You you rage transfer him out. You're not looking at his six next fixtures, and you might be bringing someone like Harry Kane in without realising that his fixtures are actually a lot worse than than Agüero's are. And I think that's the that's one of the uh, the risks with FPL if you let your sort of heart overrule your mind and make an early transfer just 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 after just watching a football match and just ping, you know, really, really ticked off with, uh, with some of the players just because they've blanked, then you don't actually look at the wider picture. Try and take your heart out of FBL and just look at the core facts and, and make the key decisions based on that.
0: Obviously, you need to avoid rage transfers. Like You've laid it out well enough yourself there, Nick, for me not to need to go over it again. But what you can kind of think about to avoid having to make a rage transfer to start is just make sensible decisions with who you've chosen. So that's why your game week one team is so important. Don't put someone in for no reason that you're going to find yourself rage transferring out because, you know... So surprising, Glenn Murray hasn't scored a hat-trick in game week one and then suddenly has very difficult fixtures for the next few weeks. So it's first of all, it's setting yourself up not to make the Rage transfers. And then secondly, don't make the Rage transfers. And then kind of on a similar note to avoiding making Rage transfers, I think something that you've got to avoid doing is what I would call Rage abstentionism, for lack of a better term. Remember a few seasons ago when Robin Van Percy was tearing up the Premier League for Manchester United in that title winning season under Ferguson? I just decided, no, I don't want to have him. And so I just went on and on in a rage abstention. And there was no need for it. I should have known that clearly RVP is the player that you need that season. And instead, I just mindlessly decided that it has to end. You could say I did the same thing with Vardy, actually, the year that Leicester won the Premier League. I just avoided for the longest time. Why? Because I brought in Shinji Okazaki in game week to thinking that was the right thing to do. Mental.
1: Uh, I think this is uh, linked to a psychological idea of a uh, gambler's fallacy, which is the idea that people always think that everything is fair inherently. And people think that, you know, if you are I don't know, failing at the at the blackjack table, that eventually the cards are going to turn and eventually things are going to even themselves out. Of course, that is rationally completely preposterous and things aren't going to even themselves out. It's like kind of the irrational belief in luck, effectively. And I think sometimes a kind of rage abstentionism, we do kind of see that sort last season with Mo Salah for a few people who kind of made it a thing that they were a Salah dodger you <laughs> and invariably didn't get a very good rank. Um, We saw a few years ago, you know, bandwagons like Aaron Ramsey, bandwagons like Josh King, bandwagons like uh, Riyad Mahrez. Uh, Those were all kind of areas, weren't they, where people were consciously objecting. Uh, Maybe it is a case of kind of, as Nick said, trying to keep your heart out of FPL to some extent and trying to make sure that you're not, you're not seeing red when you're making a change. I think that's probably the worst thing. I think that invariably it costs you more every time you do a race transfer. Like last season, for example, um, I was thinking about bringing someone in and and often this is actually the case. I was thinking about bringing i think it was callum wilson in i didn't bring him in i uh, just kind of thought well, i'm going to play it safe i'm going to keep with i'm going to keep with the striker that i had callum wilson obviously then went and scored scored two was my strike my striker blanked and i kind of did the race transfer straight away brought callum wilson in and he he then proceeded to do nothing over the next two games and i think one of my midfielders got injured as well and then i like, should that should, that was the move i should have made i think that removing a player that you never really had to remove yeah. just because of one bad game or just because of one bad instance is really a bad thing so I think that don't do rage transfers is probably our first unwritten rule today.
2: Well, I think it kind of links on quite well with the second one and they're quite similar points really because our second um, unwritten rule is uh, to not make a transfer if a midweek game is to be played and often um, when you rage transfer you're not also looking at the uh, the fixtures that are coming up and we talked about this quite a lot last year we, we defined it as the Austin rule actually because of um because of a certain year, I think it was two years ago now, where we both me and Tom got Charlie Austin in. I think he'd just come off during a brace. He had the run of easy fixtures. He was the guy to get in. Portrait Southampton were also in the Europa League that season. And uh, Charlie Austin ended up getting himself injured on that Thursday night. Uh, meaning that I had to take a minus eight. I think I swapped him out for Ben Teke, who also proceeded to blank. And uh, yeah, it was just an all-round disaster. A few others have called this the Zlatan rule as well, because of um, when Manchester United were also in Europa League, both him and Marcus Rojo, who a few people were also bringing in, uh, got injured and you're seeing a few minus eights and a few minus 12s as people desperately try to to sort out their team after... Making that cardinal sin of getting in a player whilst they've got a midweek fixture, and I think you should also um, you could elaborate further on the rule to say never make a transfer during a game when your player is still actually playing oh, who, who does on the pitch. Who's done that? I don't know. I don't know if Tom's ever done that before. No,
1: I haven't. I've kept him
2: track. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I think uh, it links in well because, as as we said, these decisions are often emotive. You know, just just have a little bit of patience. Wait and see what happens. Uh, take your time to make your decision. Unless you have the exact cash at that particular moment, and you're worried about a price rise, anything can happen midweek.
1: But that's why we went wrong with uh, Charlie Austin, though. I found, I found that quite interesting, actually. It's kind of like a, was saying, we were saying before we came on, didn't we? There's like a shared kind of story because we both fell down the same hole. Um, I think it was a uh, Hapoel Beer Sheva they were playing on the Thursday night we both brought him in on the Wednesday because he was rising I think he would have snookered us for everything else but um, that kind of has really burnt me and stuck with me uh, since then I do tend to leave it a bit because if there's midweek game there's so much I could go wrong and the worst thing is kind of sitting through that game and you see you know a live score or whatever blah blah is that is down injured or something like that and you're just like oh no like I've made that transfer already and plus you know we're on Twitter too so if if I've made that transfer there's no hiding from it because people will see that my team has now suddenly got some injured dude or some suspended Dude, and uh, what do you think, stag? What have you? Uh, how have you come to contact with this kind of rule before?
0: Yeah, so I actually had Charlie Austin written down as part of my own spiel on this one too, because I didn't, oh, even, I didn't even know you guys at the time when the, he dislocated his shoulder that time as well. So it wasn't even just going to be out for a few weeks; he was out until pretty much the end of that season at that night. Um, the other person I was thinking of, and it kind of feeds into the idea of it's not just so much you know when there's a midweek game to be played, but just don't make your transfers early in the week if you can help it is there was a, an incident with Diego Costa a few years ago where he was flagged as orange on the FPL site for the whole entire week. And so a lot of people just sold him just out of pure panic. Like, oh, OK, he's carrying an injury. He's carrying a knock of some kind. Let's get rid of him. On the Friday, he was past fit. There was 100 or 200,000 people that sold him, including an awful lot of people in the trade community. Costa went and scored a brace and everyone is left snookered that weekend, wondering why did we sell him so early in the week? Because of some budgetary constraint that was coming at them. On top of that then, and Tom mentioned the word briefly, suspensions. League Cup and FA Cup yellow cards count towards someone's accrued you know, English domestic game yellow card count, which can lead them to be suspended in a Premier League game, even though they didn't get a yellow card in the previous Premier League game because they got a yellow card in some midweek FA Cup game or League Cup game. You just got to be conscious of that, that when you're bringing players in, look at the suspension tightrope, figure out how close they are to being uh, ruled out because of getting a yellow card and also be conscious of if your player gets if a player you're looking at is going to get a yellow card or a player that you have in your squad is going to get a yellow card in a midweek game that could rule them out that you don't make your transfer early and then have none of them for that week
2: yeah i remember the time with costa Fondi because i actually had him in my team and i, I was one of the lucky people that just kind of hung on to him i think um it was marino as the manager at the time and he was constantly trolling about his uh, potential injury and then we just play him and uh yeah, got a fair few points uh, from him those times. So, yeah, I wasn't part of the Twitter community back then, because, which is probably a good thing, because I'm sure I probably would have been persuaded by all the, the tweets and the news to sell him. And...
1: Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it, that you see if there's an injury. I remember with Riyad Mahrez, like, when he got injured in the pre game, it very quickly spread that he was in a protective boot, you know, he was out for months and months and months. And the actual first official thing we heard from the club was that he was fine, he'll be, be back in a couple of days. Um, so, you know, you've got to take all the pinch of salt, really, and I mean, midweek, especially if there is a game coming up, as Stag said, be mindful of it. And as Nick said, just you know try to keep your own counsel about Going back and using that Charlie Austin example for the final time, and that links into our third rule. So the second rule is uh, don't make a transfer for mid game gamers to be played. The third rule is don't chase rises. This is going to become particularly pertinent in game week one. We're going to see that whoever does anything in game week one is going to quickly have a, a flurry of new owners. We're going to see the players who don't do anything, who are highly owned, begin to be sold a lot. And we're going to see the players who have quite a small ownership, but have an ownership of people who, for whatever reason, thought that player's going to do very well. They're going to be dropping. This is a little bit about herd mentality, I think. Psychologically, you're subject to the twin impulse of fear and greed. Fear, you're scared that everybody else is going to get points. Greed, you you want the, the same points as everybody else. Like there's several reasons behind this that maybe that you know you're led by the risers, you're led by looking at that data, you're led by kind of thinking, oh god, this guy on FPL statistics is going up, I've got to get him in today. A lot of times, if you do chase risers, especially in the early days, these players, there's no vestige of form. And what you do find is you, you've bought someone and you're kind of just hoping to get that 0.2 tick over and you're, you're trying to kind of get that 0.1 profit. But the, the key is normally to be patient with it and wait to get players in who are genuinely going to be emerging. If you're going to be chasing those rises, and making those early transfers, as we've just said in the second rule, um, I think that you're going to probably come into some problems.
2: Yeah, I think there's always going to be that player that's going to be starting something after, after game week one when... Um, they, they obviously score like a couple of goals, and your player blanks. So I used an Agüero Kane example earlier. But last season, I think the the first major bandwagons were Shaka and Higatsi. After Shaka, can't even remember what he did, but it was yeah. he got some attacking returns. And immediately, everyone was bandwagoning on Xhaka. He was going to have a great season. He was only 5.5. Arsenal had some decent fixtures. He, he became the the first bandwagon du jour, and I think it's the first price rise as well. And, and then we'll be talking on market forces. We do this... Um, Every season is one of our regular features where we talk about the price rises. And, and if you're listening to the pods for the first time um, and next week, I'll start talking about players has a player uh, 60,000 uh, transfers in already. And then another player has had 60,000 transfers out and they're both midfielders of a similar price. You're going to start panicking. You're going to sell your midfielder. You're going to buy the one that's rising. And, uh, I don't really think that's necessarily the best strategy. It, it links again with the first two points. Just try and keep a cool head before you chase those rises and, and take those, make those transfers. Check for midweek fixtures. You know, check for you know the form and the fixtures. Make sure the decision you're making is actually accurate. You're not bringing in a player that's injury prone or you know not necessarily going to start. It might even be some you know four point five midfielder like Hudson Adoy or um, or the Arsenal guy that I keep raving on about. Uh, not Maitland-Niles, Reece Nelson. That's it. Um, who who scores in game week one, and then suddenly everyone's bringing him in on hits and you're just like, no, don't do it. You know, we're going to have um, Hazard back in game week two and he's probably not even going to make the team, for example. So just, um, yeah, don't chase those rises. But, I mean, it is definitely worth following the rises and that's something we would advise to you. We use um, FPL statistics, which we've always found very useful um, in terms of predicting when a player is going to rise and it's worth noting that so that if you are going to do a transfer, you can do it on time before the rise happens Oh, and we also use the uh Fancy Football Fix app as well, which is quite useful for monitoring monitoring prices.
0: I remember at the start of last season, after three game weeks the highest scoring player in the whole entire game was Ahmed Hagazi who had, scored, had he scored two goals in the first three game weeks. He was a 4.5 uh, million, but t- million at the start, anyway. And he was a really cheap way to get into was it. It was still Tony Pulis' West Brom defence. And so, therefore, he was so popular early on in the season. And so his price just absolutely shot up. At the start of last season as well, by the start of September, Mo Salah was the only player whose price had both risen and fallen because of people just... the major movements of people bringing him in, selling him, and then they were starting to bring him in again as he started to embark on his massive run, which ended up with the golden boot. And then I remember a few years back as well, Simon Mignolet, he saved a penalty, if not two, in the first few weeks of the season, and so was one of the highest scoring players in the game as well. And so therefore, his price rose by the full point three, I think, for absolutely no reason. Like it's It's a ludicrous decision to bring in a goalkeeper based on a penalty save because it's just not something that they can do every single week. And so... Therefore, don't chase just pointless rises. Don't chase rises generally. Just be careful.
1: It, it, could, it can be a bit of a thriller sometimes to kind of chase that and get that kind of rise out of it. But at the same time, it doesn't really, earlier in the season, ever seem to pay off, I don't think. I think that um, in terms of not chasing rises, there's also another little thing here, which is uh, kind of our fourth rule, which is don't side grade. Um, It's an interesting one, not side grading, because sometimes you've got to be a little bit patient with players. Like Sometimes you may see that take Sterling and Sana last season, so 2.8.0 midfielders. Um, One is doing a little bit better than the other for a little while, so you kind of think, oh, I'm going to move from the one that I've got to the other. Invariably, whenever you do that, the other one will start scoring. Like The key of it is looking at the underlying stats. If they are performing fairly similarly, then you've got to wait and be patient and wait for your time to come if you know one player is performing markedly better than the other so you know you've got a, a Riyad Mahrez versus Mark Albrighton kind of thing in 2015-16 two, obviously by Riyad Mahrez but in terms of side grading for players especially in the premium bracket. It, and in the same team it often isn't worth it and it's often worth just kind of being patient with it I mean we're, we're preaching a lot of patience right now I'm aware <laughs> which, which may well uh, fall flat in his face when the season starts and we all kind of think oh my god what am I going to do I'm missing this guy um, but equally I think there is definitely something worth bearing in mind about side grading and how often it's diminishing returns to make that kind of transfer.
2: Yeah I think that's an important rule not to side grade and I think it... Um, two seasons ago it was particularly pertinent with the red roulette when Firmino was a midfielder uh, Mane was a midfielder he had um, Coutinho as well at Liverpool and we saw a lot of people swapping between Coutinho and then Firmino would score a brace and then they'd switch to Mane and then Mane would score a brace and you know you'd be missing every time you'd be missing the points and we see so many people literally sidegrade and try and chase the points within that Liverpool team And and it was just I think you were doing it as well Tom I, I think I stuck with Coutinho throughout the entire run and I think I probably just about broke even. But a lot of people were switching between Coutinho, Firmino and Mane just trying to chase the points and they just essentially take it in turns to to get the returns for their team. And, and that is something that you really should be wary of. Um, and I think um, this year is probably going to be particularly uh, pertinent uh, with the Manchester City squad because what we're going to see with those midfielders especially is a lot of rotation you might see that one week uh, Sane doesn't start and Mares scores a brace. So everyone who has Sane is going to suddenly sell him and bring in Mares, And then it'll be Mares' turn to actually sit on the bench and uh, and Sane will then start and, and score a brace, and it'll definitely ha- I guarantee it will actually happen. And it's better just to kind of stick with that one player, perhaps your Bernardo Silvers. Uh, Tom's thinking of owning, just sitting there. He might not start every game, but when he does start, he might get a couple of goals. And you'll you'll probably do better than the guys that are doing the minus fours, swapping between Sterling and and um, and Sane and Mares, and trying to chase those points because it's it's not going to work. We know that Pep's going to rotate. And um, even if that player, one of the players seems to be picked all the time and seems to be in form, invariably, as soon as you bring him in and, and swap the player that you own, it's going to be the other way around and the other one's going to score. And it's just, it's just a, very, it's just a bad strategy, I think, to, to side
0: grades. So kind of building on that a little bit, when I make transfers, I tend to be trying to do a full restructuring of the team. And so therefore I'll be trying to use two full free transfers to make a, a bigger move. And so I'm usually tending to swap between the price brackets. It'd be quite rare that I'd be swapping a premium player who I'm pretty happy with. Cause I do tend to try and stay the course now when you're dealing with pep roulette or the red roulette a few seasons ago it can be pretty difficult to do that and so it's, it's easy to say that now here on on august 6th before the season starts but the reality is is that just side grading is rarely ever going to help as the lads have actually said and so unless you're trying to do what i do where i'm trying to just restructure and so therefore i'm not actually going to end up side grading i'm downgrading one upgrading another so that the price you know that the funds equalize themselves you just shouldn't be doing it
1: no, definitely. And I think the price is obviously a very interesting thing. We spoke about that in our positions pod to some extent, that there are always multiple options. And um, to some extent, it's probably a good thing to have a player who, for example, this year is a 7.0 striker. So you, if Arnautovic who you do choose doesn't do anything and Josh King is smashing it or um, you know, Wilford Zaha smashing it, you can, you can make that swap. That's fine, I think. But in terms of getting player get moving between players who are kind of starting uh, to a similar frequency, whose ceiling is to a similar extent, then we kind of have that rule in place that you kind of think, well, there's no point in me jumping from uh, from Sana to uh Mares. There's no point, it, as Nick said, doing that because you are just gonna end up being hurt by that you're going to end up being hurt by by losing a transfer effectively when you could have used that to do other things or saved it for something like stagger saying when you're trying to make your team a little bit better by kind of doing a bit of a reconfigure using two free transfers kind of a mini wildcard sort of thing this kind of leads us nicely on to hits a little bit as well i think one of the rules that um certainly i see repeated an awful lot is don't take a minus four for a defender i mean this could easily be don't take a minus four generally because a lot of people don't believe in hits um there's quite a few examples of players who take minimal hits throughout the season i think fpl heisenberg was one of those last season on twitter not taking minus four for a defender, particularly person i think in terms of this this is kind of saying as part of that transfer you're getting in a defender who you are going to try to play and you're hoping for returns of them obviously if you're kind of getting a you know a 4.0 enabler plus getting a better player in for two kind of medium priced players than perhaps there's an argument that that's okay if the defender's going to rot on your bench. Generally with defenders, I mean, defenders are the least likely to score points, attacking points, that is. Their likeliest kind of output is clean sheets. But if you really think about it, if you're taking a minus four, um, you need that clean sheets to get you to zero. So the clean sheet gives you four and uh, minus four. You wipe that out. You get zero. You do, you get two appearance points on top of that. If assuming they play ninety minutes, that takes you to two points, which is what you probably would have had anyway, unless there was an injury or a suspension or something. And realistically, you need seven points from any player you bring in to give you a a real realized profit on the move that you've made. And I think that's something which gets overlooked sometimes. I mean, people do kind of have an underlying assumption that I'm doing a the old for the new, you know, it's it's the um, psychological idea of the novelty effect, which is where you value new things more than you value old things. It's completely true for FPR managers. We look at the the next flavor of the month. We see it in the market forces. There's a, uh, as we mentioned with the Xhaka and Hagat's examples, there is some guy who suddenly looks like the business. but particularly for defenders, I think taking a hit is probably not the best idea, and you do need to get a real return from that. And it's often, best it's best to just roll your transfer and use two FTS to do things rather than uh, taking a hit in one game week. I often find. Uh, what do you think on this stag? I think you're we're kind of close to this anyway.
0: Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty much in agreement with you that there isn't... It's when you look at that arithmetic of it that it just makes absolutely no sense to take a minus four for a defender, especially, with the exception of perhaps a Marcus Alonso, Leighton Baines and his pomp-type player who actually has a decent chance of scoring. You know, they were scoring more often than not at, t- at certain periods. But outside of that, there's really no point in taking a minus four for a defender unless it's part of a greater restructuring, like the sort of thing we were talking about earlier. And so... Therefore, then it kind of leads itself into, unless you happen to be captaining that defender for some reason, which isn't as crazy as it sounds when you think about Marcus Alonso in previous seasons, when you think about Pereira from Leicester, who's currently playing as a right winger in pre-season, when you think about Leighton Baines, who provided a serious goal threat at times. But at the end of the day, you're probably not going to be captaining that defender. And so therefore, if it's you're talking about you're using one of your one transfer today and taking a minus uh, minus four, because of that, there's absolutely no point doing so to bring in a defender because the odds of it working out for you, you're looking at bonuses, goals or assists, or it's just not going to work.
2: I think if you start taking hits for defenders minus fours fours, minus you just got to take a look at that man in the mirror and just think, well, what the hell are you doing? You know, there's just uh, there's much better strategies out there. You need a clean sheet and an attacking return essentially to break even. If your team um, actually concedes two goals as well, then you could end up with just the one point, and then you're just going to end up in in negative equity. So I think uh, I think that's a very good rule there, um, not to take hits for defenders. If you're going to take hits, it's got to be for, you know, a guy who can bring you multiple attacking returns, you know, your premium midfielders, your premium forwards, but not for um, a cheaper asset. It's just not worth it.
1: We've been saying in our points per value and value for money stuff this pre-season that um, the defenders are the most uh, value for money. They're probably kind of thinking, what about us? Like, we've got we've kind of bat you on this. Uh, you're telling us not to take hits for these players. Obviously, a hit sometimes you can kind of think of it as like a deposit. And you're trying to kind of make those points back over time. Um, with some defenders, it may be worthwhile. So maybe with, you know, if you do have a 4.5 Burnley defender uh, last season um, who would then return lots of clean shoots to you, that kind of makes a bit more sense. Um, but on a kind of a game week level, an isolated game week level, you often tend to be shooting yourself in the foot a little bit doing that. And it does often seem to be better to just wait until you've got two, three transfers unless it's absolutely imminent, you've got an injury or suspension or something. So for transfers then, I think our five rules are: don't do rage transfers, don't make a transfer if a midweek game is to be played, don't chase rises, don't side grade, and don't take commands for for a defender. I think those are all pretty damn good. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Let's move on to benching. There's only two here, and they're always kind of quite useful. The first one is to set your bench properly. This is very important, actually. I see many teams on Twitter. I'm sent many teams by my friends. Indeed, one of my colleagues, his team was great, but his bench had, you know, the four point five striker first, and a 5.0 midfielder second, and he had Zahar as his third bench. had not really thought about it. The bench is easily something that you just miss. But it's very, very important because that is the the first bench player, is the player that you're relying on to come through. Link to this. Set your vice-captain. Don't leave it on wherever it was. Last season, for example, I had captain Eden Hazard for the game that he was rested over Christmas. I vice most love, who then scored two goals. And I got those vice points and people go like, oh, it's lucky, it's lucky. It's not because you've, you've set your vice captain to pick up if, you're the, if your captain doesn't show up. And it's the same with the first bencher. You've got to make sure you set that right. The second bencher, you've got to make sure you set that right. You've got your dross on the third. I remember when Sado Mano was at Southampton in his final uh, season, he scored the quickest hat-trick in field history. Um, admittedly, I wasn't playing that seriously, um, but I had him as my second bench. So I had uh, someone who had a hat-trick. Uh, as my second bencher i don't know why i benched them i just did that game week i think i saw my uh my mini league slip away that week so yeah been burnt into my mind to make sure that you keep that on
0: yeah, that that story about Sadio Mane kind of reminds me of the times when Deli Ali was emerging as a prospect, and the amount of times you used to see Deli Ali trapped on people's bench week after week after week. And Josh King, a season later, where you were just like, "Look, these are clearly players who are on form or who are at least posing a greater goal threat than their price suggests." There is absolutely no point putting them further back your bench or behind some four point five defender. You know, points on your bench are as bad as blood on the dance floor. It's something you just want to avoid.
2: Definitely. It's worth setting your bench properly, checking it before the deadline. Make sure everything is ordered. You've got your captain set, your vice captain set, and you've got your bench properly organised. Uh, because otherwise, yeah, like, like we said, you know, when Harry Kane, for instance, was emerging at Spurs and Delhi Alley was emerging at Spurs, people were missing out on these important points because they just saw them as, you know, cheaper assets and, you know, bench warmers. And yeah, it's, it's worth... Um, you know, making sure the player that you think is going to score the most points is your first substitute, because invariably you're going to end up with bench points. It's, it's one of the most annoying things about FPL is like nine pointer or a ten pointer or even worse sitting there on your bench. And if you can avoid it, then um, it's, it's worth making sure that your your bench is done properly.
1: I mean, invariably it's going to happen, but if, for example, you're doing something and we spoke about rotation a minute ago, if you're like me betting on those Silver early doors, it's always very useful to make sure you've got your player who you think is going to be playing... 90 minutes first on your bench if you've got a Tom Kearney or something like that who's um, designed to come on uh, for Bernardo Silva make sure you've got that set up because invariably I think this season more than anything, we're going to speak about this in a little bit we're going to see a lot more rotation I think that this year is going to be very important to make sure that you have just got these basics covered it only takes a second but if you miss it you may miss out on some points Slightly linked to this, Uh, it's an interesting one. It's Don't Bench Your Premium Assets. Uh, It's one from Goops. This is born out of the fact that I had and uh, Con had, and I've seen several people on uh, Twitter actually have. They've got Mendy in their team but he's benched for game week one because they've got Aguero and they've got Mares or they've got Bernardo Silva and uh, something like that. And they've got Wamba bissaka instead. And uh, I think it was pointed out that you're probably right, isn't it? That you, you should never be benching a, an asset that expensive. It's the same in some ways that people are saying, right, I'm going to have DDG and I'm going to not play him in difficult games. I'm going to play a 4.5 keeper. That makes no sense to me. I mean, the, these players, these uh, are designed to play these sorts of big games. Like, for example, last season against Arsenal, David De Gea uh, on his own got eight points, I think it was, compared to the rest of the defence getting zilch. So it's one of those where I, I think if you do have premium assets, you've got to pay them week in, week out and expect something from the week week in, week out because that's what you pay for and that's where you get your value for money. Don't be too afraid of the big games and try not to bench your premium assets, basically.
0: Yeah, like for me, it's, it's definitely not a case of Neverland, though, with not benching your premiums. I can see a time when you should do it in that... It's it's acceptable to do so in a case where you've got a player who's suspended for one game for an hour, who has an injury that is clearly short term, where they'll be back a week later. For me, last season, I got a bit impatient about it, and I decided no. I am not going to bench Mo Salah for one week. Instead, I'm going to sell him this random week at Christmas where he was had some sort of knock. I think he might have missed two games in the end, not oh. one. But rather than hold on to him, I absolutely shattered my value so badly that it made me want to scream for the rest of the season. It was pretty much like, a, I think it was a 0.6 million hole in my budget for the rest of the season because I didn't bench my premium. So it's definitely not an absolute rule, but it's pretty close to it.
2: I'd like to expand on that a little bit as well because you always, every season, there's always going to be that emerging player. Um, I mentioned uh, when Kane was a um, four point five forward. Uh, Stag mentioned when Ali was, um, you know, five point zero, and uh, I remember when Sterling also was four point five midfielder for for Liverpool. And a lot of people, were, you know, were avoiding these players or were not starting them. They owned them because they were cheap, but they didn't start them because, you know, they saw the price and, and considered them, you know, a, a cheap asset. And you almost like, you know, scorn at the price that you wouldn't have something so cheap in, in your starting 11. And, and then they'd end up missing out on the point. It's worth factoring in the fact that there might be, you know, that, that hudson doy type character who suddenly emerges as a, a 4.5 million asset and scores week in, week out, and people don't play him because they'd rather rather play their £6.5 million pound Richarlison, who's constantly blanking.
1: Yeah, I think taking price as a cue is definitely something that you shouldn't do to some extent. Premium players are premium players for a reason. They're We prove that performance correlates with pricing. We've done that kind of study on this year's price compared to last year's performance and does correlate. So premium players are priced that way for a reason. But in the, in the kind of the lower mid-tiers, I think you're definitely right that there are always... always players who emerge as being better value for money than their price bracket would suggest and it's always better to keep that in mind and not be led by the price and not think oh just because this guy is six million the other guy's 4.5 million i should be playing six million if anything you should be selling six million and playing the 4.5 if that sort of player emerges so yeah benching set your bench properly and don't bench premium assets unless they've got a massive price rise and you're going to be destroying your value by selling them on moving on to the final kind of couple of rules the first one is one that we're going to just speak very very briefly about because we're going to, we've got a little section on it but it's avoid rotation risk players and this is one that i'm not too sure that we're all going to subscribe to but this might be one which is changing but it has been one of those kind of classic rules that people have always said avoid the guys who are looking like they're rotatable getting the solid assets the second one is plan but don't over plan this is a really interesting one because of the nature of this season particularly this season, we've got a lot of World Cup returnees. We've got, you know, uh, Hazard um, being pictured in training for the first time and Chelsea Sweater saying, oh, it's great to have you back, lads. And we were seeing a lot of people kind of saying, I'm planning in game week one or game week two to change this guy for this guy. And that's part of their plan. It's one of those things that I, it makes a lot of sense if you think about it. But the things that you thought about it too much, so many things can change. So many things can, can alter in just one game week. You know, you've got... Our example of the Xhaka or Hagasu, you've got a guy who suddenly becomes the guy that everybody is trying to buy that you may want to get in on. you've got injuries, you've got suspensions. There are so many factors at play, and I think the planning transfers, front loading transfers, and thinking, you know what I'm going to buy the have this guy for a little while and then i'm going to, with the aim of transferring him out again there've been years where we've had players like Kletchi and Atcho, players like Divok Origi in our teams with the full knowledge that we're going to have to get rid of them soon. Sometimes it is unavoidable, but most of the time I think you shouldn't be kind of sitting there thinking, you know what, in 3 weeks I'm going to be moving this guy and doing that and doing this. I mean, I love making intricate plans as much as the next FPL nerd. But I often think that that actually isn't the best strategy and often we need to just kind of have a very short focus on what's going on and probably not have transfers as being part of that short focus. It's more about what our team can actually do So I think it can be a bad, really bad to just have that kind of plan in place that you're kind of doggedly sticking to in terms of making a transfer a little bit further down the line.
2: Yeah, I think you make a decent point there about those sort of substitute forwards that always seem to be a massive trap. We've seen it with most of the uh, top teams that they're substitute forward. Um, you think they're going to start and have a run of good fixtures. You're going to bring them in, you, you know, the likes of Mishri uh, Batshuayi at Chelsea, for instance, or uh, Fernando Llorente at Spurs or Vincent Janssen even. I remember popping up in teams at one point when Harry Kane was injured a few seasons back. It's always always Son that ends up starting as the number nine or, you know, Eden Hazard. And uh, those uh, substitute chikers don't even turn up. And you you plan on owning them for a few game weeks, thinking you're going to catch some uh, easy points against some, you know, tasty fixtures. And those players don't even turn up and play. And, yeah, I think that's, I think that's an important rule as part of general strategy to not over plan. Don't look too far into the future. Don't think, oh, I'm going to own this player for two weeks and then I'm going to sell him for this player. And I'm going to bring in this midfielder um, as well on a minus four, because it's, it's not going to work out that way. You're going to bring in a player um, then another player is going to come back from injury. So he's going to be dropped and then you're going to have an injury for a defender or your you know, your midf- one of your midfielders gets sent off and, and you're going to end up t- having to take minus eights or minus 12s just to get your team back into the shape um, you're expecting. Look at the fixtures, look at the next five fixtures and have, have an idea of what you're going to do. But don't set it in stone and don't start trying to do the maths in terms of the money as well, because it's just not going to work out that way.
0: Yeah, kind of building on what Nick said, it's really just about being flexible. Like You can't just build this plan and just say, don't matter to me, I'm just going to follow this no matter what. You just have to really be able to understand that, okay, if some midfielder or striker goes on a massive run and yet you want to hold on to let's say they're a premium player, a Harry Kane type he hasn't been in form for a few weeks, but you need to hold on to your Sergio Aguero and your Mo Salah in midfield. And so therefore this great intricate plan that you would laid out for the next six game weeks is just going to have to be torn apart as you sell two premium defenders and a mid-price midfielder to try and fund a move up from like a you know a Wilfred Zaha type 7.0 striker to Harry Kane. So at the end of the day, your your great big intricate plan is going to be affected by so many things happening to your own players and players coming into vogue outside of your team that you just need to get. So there's just no point being Too big on plans, but that said, you do need to be aware what's coming up in the next two to three game weeks for all of your players, because that's where you know that's where planning comes in at FPL. But eight game weeks ahead, I've heard people talking about for their game week one team. There's just absolutely no point. There's going to be so many changes to teams based on what we think. Like Tom and I at the moment are trying to work out predicted elevens for all of the twenty teams in the league. And the fact of the matter is, is that like if a player has three bad games, they're going to be out of the team and. You know, all that great intricate plan that you made because Bernardo is absolutely nailed on left back at Brighton are just going to fall apart.
1: Yeah, exactly. And this stuff like, you know, trying to work out what the Watford team is going to be in eight weeks' time should just be a reducto-ad absurdum argument for why you shouldn't make too many plans. Um, but yeah, that's very interesting, guys. So, I mean, overall, I think we, we do have a few very good rules there. Uh, we're going to talk about one in detail just after the break, but just run through them again. Now, don't do raised transfers don't be silly. Don't get angry. Don't get drunk. Make a change. Uninstall FPL if you're going to be that kind of guy. Uninstall your apps. Just just don't go on FPL if, you, if you're going to be drinking and maybe make stupid decisions. Do other things instead. Don't make transfer if there's midweek games to be played. Don't be like me and Nick. Don't have a cropped Charlie Austin and have to take a minus eight. Don't chase rises. It's all very good having 0.1 million more in the bank, but having 12 more points in the bank is probably a lot better. Don't side grade. Try to be a bit patient. Take minus four for a defender, set your bench properly, don't bench premium assets, avoid rotation risk players, maybe, and plan but don't over plan. Uh, we're going to take a break there and we're going to delve in a little bit more into the idea of avoiding rotation risk players and what rotation means. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and we're going to talk about the general rule of avoiding rotation players, because I think that this is something which is going to change a little bit this year. It's almost like we're moving towards a bit of a squad led future with the strengthening of the top six and many teams now with two great players in every position. We're kind of wondering, has the balance started to shift towards a game where you have to have 14 or so players rather than the 11 on the pitch and a bare minimum bench? If you take Book Eight's example, he was someone who wrote on Reddit recently. For as long as I've been playing FPL, successful team structure is as follows: you identify with nailed-on no players, you invest in the best value uh, mix amongst the weekly, you know, bucket players at the, at the bottom in the mid tier, and you distribute your value across everything. In terms of your bench, you use that to kind of just have players who are going to get one or two points. But with squad that becoming the thin and players becoming rotatable. Have we been conditioned to think that because a player is rotatable, we shouldn't be buying him in? We're seeing this with Bernardo Silva at the moment. I mentioned him on the last pod that he did go on to do something in the Community Shield and suddenly became the darling of many people's teams. Despite that fact, we know that he's going to be rotated. He's not going to play every game. But my gambit is that in the games that he does play, he's going to return me points that are commensurate to somebody of the same value, 75 who plays every game because of how good Man fixtures are. Um, FPL Guidance also noted this, um, for example, several times to have cash on the bench to make sure that it's a good idea to have these players who can come in as an insurance policy of decent quality rather than having a filled billing coming in or something like that. So this is an interesting one, guys, and I think it's just worth talking about quickly in terms of how the game's going to progress going forward. I mean, are you anticipating that rotations become more of a big thing or are you unbreakable in the fact that you're always going to be sticking to having players who aren't going to be rotating no matter what
2: I think this is something that you have to be very wary of if you're going to go down this path of having players that are rotatable in your team and just try and avoid if you are going to go for a pun like Bernardo Silva. Just make sure that you have some talismans in your team that you know are going to start and play week in week out, because you don't want to be in that situation where you've only got ten men turning up um, and you're missing two of your most expensive assets. Last season, I, I got punished actually with my second wild card because I, I had a few sort of punts in there. Well, not really punts, but players that you know were more were larger rotation risks in a team. I'm, I'm thinking of Sol and William in particular, who um, were in my second wild card and. Both were in relative form, both were seem seemed like they were playing week in week out for their clubs and I got them in on the wild card and then they started blanking and then they started not playing as well and it and it just worked out really poorly for me and um I ended up losing rank as opposed to gaining rank, which I hoped for um, at the end at the close season so I think you have to bear in mind that if you are going to get into a a player like Bernardo Silva, he's not going to start week in, week out. You do need to have a strong bench as well so that if you do have, uh, if he doesn't play, you do have someone who comes in, someone that you know is going to potentially get you a return as well. Um, I know there's a few out there, 5.0 midfielders, not necessarily uh, picks that are going to get massive returns week in, week out, but have the potential to get you a return so that if you do miss out and your player doesn't start, then there are some, there are some points out there.
0: Like what makes this whole entire idea of the bench becoming far more important and the idea of just embracing rotation players, rotation risk players more so in FPL than we ever have before. So what makes it so pertinent, I guess, is the changes that have come in football in the last few years. So, what we now have, we've got six very strong teams in the top six who are competing for four Champions League qualification spots. And then if they're in the Champions League, they have to manage that because that's where a lot of them are judged. You've got the likes of City, especially, who aren't, they barely got any plaudits for winning the Premier League. It was all about the style that they won it in last year. And yet there was a big counteracting point about how, well, you know, they weren't able to win the Champions League. And so therefore, what was the value in the whole thing? You had people claiming that at least. You could just say that now is just, annoyed Man United fans if you want but whatever and then you look at like the likes of Liverpool as well who had to try and compete on two fronts the whole way through and were only able to relax right at the end of the season and so therefore Klopp had rotated heavily in the early season to allow for Liverpool to be able to compete to A, run the Champions League as far as they could, and B, hold their Champions League qualification spot for the next season. And then you've got the likes of United, Chelsea in previous seasons who've had to go and win the Europa League in order to get a qualification spot for the Champions League, or Arsenal last season as they were trying to do it. So these changes in football itself have kind of led to FPL having these changes. So it's going to be interesting to see how Sari does at Chelsea now after he previously having being known for not for never rotating his team at Napoli. And likewise, Mourinho possibly, you could say that his, the demise of him as a manager and then by virtue of that, the demise of the FPL fortunes of his players is down to the fact that maybe he hasn't gone with the times and being able to rotate his players as much. And so with all of that in mind, I think we do have to understand that players will be rotated and then with that we need to try and avoid having one pointers so it's like okay do we know that this player is going to miss the whole game because the last thing we want is a Roberto Firmino coming on late for 13 minutes and getting one point cameo meaning that you know the talisman that you have on your bench is just going to completely to waste so you've you've really got to work it out what sort of rotation risk are they are they complete rest like let's say Salah might have been towards the end of last season or are they they're going to get half a game and so therefore they're actually quite dangerous for your team because they're providing very little benefit.
1: In terms of uh, Bernardo Silva, for example, we noted and uh, Nick uh, pushed back very strongly on this at the end of last season that his points per ninety were through the roof, but that was just because of the fact he came off the bench and happened to get an assist every now and again. With Bernardo Silva, I think what has happened is perhaps his transition from one of those players who is likely to either be uh, you know off the bench for one pointer. It looks like he's going to be one of those players who either starts or doesn't play very much. And I think that that's probably the interesting kind of dynamic there. Nick, in terms of the rotation options and going for players who are rotatable are you accepting the fact that um some of your players may not play and you're going to have a bench or are you more playing where you were in terms of just sticking to players who are premium going to be playing you know your Christian Harrison sort of type
2: well, I think the thing about these sort of FPL rules, I guess they're very rarely black or white. The The game is constantly evolving. And as Stag mentioned, you know, there are six big teams out there with, you know, massive squads. And you're going to see rotation in pretty much all the positions at those teams. So it's something you do have to factor in into your sides. For instance, you know, I've actually got, you know, Ben Davis in my team. And and Pochettino is very famous for the fact that he likes to rotate the fullbacks and, you know, one week you might see Trippier and Davis playing, and the next week it might be Aurea and Rose, and that is something that you have to bear in mind with those Spurs fullbacks. I'm hoping that the Ben Davis punt pays off for me because of the fact that um, Danny Rose seems to be out of favour with Pochettino. He's also been involved in the World Cup, so won't necessarily be as fit as Ben Davis, who's played a full preseason. So there are you have to if you are going to bring in a player that is prone to rotation and there is risk there, you have to just factor in. Every element you have to think: is he the manager's favourite in in his position, or is there someone you know waiting in the wings? How is that manager's relationship with the player? How is the fitness of the player? There's there's so many different factors. For me, I think Bernardo Silva. I don't necessarily think he is the favourite in the position. I think at seven point five million, it's too much money. I wouldn't like to spend that amount of money on a player that I know isn't going to start necessarily. I'd rather. Um, if, I know you've sort of argued the case that he's going to score more points than other players in his position, but I, I still think there are better picks out there. You know, I would say that likes of Zaha, for instance, if he if he stays at Crystal Palace, and that's a big if, at 7.0 million as a forward would be better to own than Donardo Silva. I'd rather own sort of Zaha and a 4.5 million midfielder as opposed to Silva and a 4.5 million forward like uh,
1: Kamara. I think the interesting thing here is those fixtures. Like with Bernardo Silva, I'm you know I'm playing against Arsenal, hoping that off the back of the Community Shield it was okay. Um, but then he's got such good fixtures in two and seven, where they play you know the promoted teams last season and the season before, all in the space of the same. So if he plays four of those six fixtures and uh, produces me points within those four, I'm going to take the fact that he doesn't he either comes off the bench for one or doesn't show up entirely for another one. I still think that maybe it is me just looking at it as a kind of a long-term kind of perspective. Um, but I still kind of think that within that kind of time frame, you've got, you know, Pascal Gross, who starts off against Watford, then has uh, two of the top six in, um, in Game Week's turn three. Um, it, it, it's almost the case that you're kind of looking at it and thinking, well, over the course of that time, who's going to score me more points? Despite the fact there's rotation, I still think that Nilo Silva is going to prove good value for money. And sometimes I think that, I mean, it's easy, as we said earlier, to say this on the 6th of August, but often it is a case of looking at it and thinking, right, OK, over the course of this period of time, how many points are they going to accrue, regardless of the week-to-week kind of peaks and troughs? What is the trend line going to be? And I think that, for me, is what's more important. Yeah,
2: I still think Zaha is, is a good pick because I think uh, Palace play Watford in game week three, and then they've got Southampton, then they've got Huddersfield, then they've got Newcastle, and after that, they've got uh, Bournemouth. So I think... Game week three to seven is a great run for Palace as well. And, and then after that, they've got Wolves. So, you know, game week three to eight is actually a really good run for them. He's probably going to be sold to Chelsea or Spurs now. But uh, <laughs> obviously, if he stays at, you know, Palace and remains their talisman, then, you know, why why would you not want to own him? I haven't actually got him in my team at the moment. I've got Naltovic, but I still think there's a very strong case of, of fitting him in as well over a player that is injury prone and, and you talked a lot about talisman theory in the preseason. and I feel like you've suddenly decided you're looking at non-talismans and there, there is that, you know, you talked about Lucas Moura as well and he's another player that seemed very good in preseason. but once Sally's back, once um, Ericsson's back, you know, is, is he going to fit, ah, son's going away to the Asian Games, but is he going to fit into the team? I don't know.
1: Well, the rest of my players are talisman by the way. Uh, Bernardo Silva's just the one pun that I've got. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> Do you think we're going to move to a kind of a future FPL where we're a little bit more formationless or a little bit less contingent on assuming players are going to be playing every week? And do you think we are going to be looking at players at a points per game level rather than at a certain start level and this is what they're going to do? Is points per minute, for example, going to be a lot more important now in going forward?
0: Yeah, no, I was interested interested hearing you talk about a trend line and how you maybe you're going to pick based on that and kind of hope that it works out. And sure, that it kind of it works in theory with Bernardo Silva until suddenly it doesn't work at all, and you end up with a litany of three pointers, one seven pointer, and you know a one pointer and two zeros or something over the course of this really good run that City have. And that's kind of where the fear is. Like FPL is all about chasing the the bang as opposed to anything else, which I guess is where the talisman theory came from, wasn't it? It was all about your bang theory originally. And I think with the likes of Bernardo Silva, perhaps you're not chasing the bang and you're more so chasing that kind of I don't know. You're ch- you're chasing that points for game and that kind of quiet middle ground that perhaps they won't actually provide in the end. i kind of I kind of fear that I'll just end up you know messing it up the one week or that I'll end up with missing out on players who I've ended up benching because I kept a Bernardo Silva type player on and then he ends up coming on off the bench. And so I'm I'm trying to still work with that in my own head. And I think the idea of having Bernardo Silva in my team right now is fine as a punt, but would I do that over the course of a season, for example? I'm not sure. Like, I remember when we actually discussed Bernardo Silva again at the end of last season and we were kind of looking at him in the run-in. I remember I was just totally against it, And that was kind of when everything had kind of settled down and we knew the teams that were going to be playing. We knew the fixtures. We kind of had a good idea of how everyone was going to do against each other. And then it didn't make sense to me, even though his points per game were quite good and he was very likely to play. And I think he did all right in the end as well. So... In the end, I don't think I'm going to follow it, but it does work in theory.
1: Yeah, obviously it's all about kind of setting up your team and hoping for the best outcome. With, with Manchester City, we spoke a lot about Bernardo ben- ben- Silva. The reason we have is because of those fixtures that are, that are coming. And sometimes, you know, I don't, I can't really remember. I mean, we had Southampton at the start of last season and Man United to some extent where people had two or three players. But with City and with the explosive nature of City compared to Man United, apologies or United fans, City are the sort of team who are going to be scoring points and all of the players are going to be scoring points. We spoke about this with the unwritten rules earlier on as well, that there are going to be players who are going to be week in, week out, giving you peaks and troughs. So sometimes it is worth kind of thinking about it. We've we've preached patience as well. And sometimes it is worth thinking about it to that extent, just thinking, well, all right, this week I haven't got very much from this guy. Next week I might get something from this guy, or I probably will get something from this guy because it's Man City. And that's kind of where I'm coming from with that. Um, and obviously, Game week four, game week five, and probably going to World Cup because of the nature of this year and the nature of the returnees from the World Cup. So it's only a short term punt, and no punts generally, I think, should be probably kept to the short term rather than being a long term thing. Um, But for me, a 7.5 million that enables a lot more. Um, I think that's probably a key point worth mentioning too, Um, whilst keeping kind of that big player covered so i can kind of think that you know because he's a man player he may score commensurate to what mares scores at 9.0 what sarno scores at 9.5 definitely has it in him from watching the charity shield but i think it, sometimes you do have to kind of t- take a fluster on these sorts of guys all right it's getting close to midnight and um, so we're going to move on to the end section now and um, we're going to talk about our features talk about our current sides and round odds who got the assist who got the assist so we're back for our end
2: section where we're going to talk about a few of our features for the season. Um, the first one we're going to be covering is the All England 11 or the All England 15. They're celebrating the relative success of the World Cup. Um, we're just going to look at an England uh, team in FPL and how we think um, they'll do. I know our, the midfield looks absolutely dreadful, but Tom, you're going to run through your team as it stands right now and uh, just run through the positions and, and say who we've got currently in the team, subject to change.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's currently rather shocking, actually. Um, so, so in goal, we've got Jordan Pickford, uh, the, the back five, uh, Bertrand, uh, Sean Morrison, um, who I, I kind of want to take a punt on in my actual team because I think he's going to do a Higatze game week one. Uh, yeah, he, he's kind of sitting there. Uh, Phil Jones, um, Trent Alexander-Arnold <laughs> and Tarko. The midfield is horrific. It's Jordan Ive it's Townsend, it's Cess and it's Michael uh, Antonio and it's James Madison. Uh, stacked a little bit sick here and that, and up front we've got um, Charlie Austin, Josh King, and uh, Harry Kane. Um, we're trying to think about who the captain's going to be this week, and we'll do this every week. Um, but for the first week, I think it might well be Josh King actually for Cardiff. Now you may well be a bit confused about the identity of our captain. You may know? be thinking, "Well, why the hell have you got him captain?" I know he plays for Bournemouth. I'm really sorry about that, but they do have Cardiff and he's done really well in pre-season. So I think that he's going to be, you know, he's got four goals and one assist throughout the free pre-season process. So I think he's going to be our captain against Cardiff. And we're going to be hoping for a, uh, for, for a penalty goal or something from him, but it would be interesting to see this season, how well a team of English players does, especially early season. I think it's going to be quite difficult. We're going to be managing this properly. Um, I should say that unspecified family member who's living at one of our addresses is going to be managing this properly. And um Yeah, I'm hopeful of a decent kind of finish here. Since we get Jamie Vardy back, since we get Dele Alli back to beef up the midfield, and since we get some of the uh, some of the defenders back like Carl Walker, I think that we actually have a fairly decent team going here. In terms of an England eleven stag, what what do you think the prospects are are looking like? What could possibly happen in FPL context?
0: Well, it's it's kind of fitting really that uh, an all England eleven would uh, fall under you or an unspecified family member in your home's control, considering that they're likely to miss penalties as Englishmen. But um, outside of that, oh. I think... That... <laughs> Savage. Savage. <laughs> no, I, th- I think there's um there's some real talent there amongst the English players in the Premier League. But as you say, it is unfortunate that because England did... Well, unfortunate in a way, that because England went so far in the World Cup, there is a, a slight dearth of decent midfielders as it stands right now. Like, you, you are fortunate that you have Manchester United Academy uh, graduate Josh King in there to help your team. But... Yeah it's really going to be relying on the defense. I think I think though this all England 11 will outperform expectations though it will outperform any sort of Irish 11 in the Premier League that's for certain. I can say that.
1: Yeah you have what four longs, two murphys <laughs> no, no English aren't they? Just, just one McCarthy,
0: uh, Two
1: I'm hoping
2: members. Jonathan Walters makes the odd appearance <laughs> here and there. If he hasn't retired yet already, I don't even know if he has or not. Is he still playing? Still there? <laughs> or wherever he is.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, no, I think it would be an interesting experiment. I don't think anyone's actually done it before, even though you kind of see people making. Like, um, it's worth mentioning that Bill um, Hint's chief has also kind of speculatively put together an England team. Yeah, I'm sure he'll be watching with great interest. Moving on to the Zombie League then. Uh, The Zombie League this year, um, we're starting this as a replacement for uh, one of the other features last year, which was Neon Watch. The Zombie League is an interesting one. This is basically the idea that you create a ghost ship team game week one, don't do anything afterwards, and by the way, this does not mean you can do a bench boost with triple captain game week one. I will kick you if you do that. And um, this is our team which has no chips, no transfers, no captaincy changes. And um, the league code is 280 665 And again, it's worth mentioning that you need to have a football in, uninterested friend, parent, child, significant other. Dog, fish, whatever, who lives at your house doing it because you're only that one account as an individual, but households unlimited. Thank you so much, for people who have sent through their zombie teams already. It's an interesting setup, I think, actually, because to some extent it's about. Anticipating what's going to happen throughout the course of the season and making sure you've got a decent eleven. It's almost the case that when you're doing it, you don't stop until you get enough of those players who are going to keep playing every single game. You know, your Jack Cork, your Zankers, and those sorts of guys are the guys who should be on the bench. But I think the key question here is most or no Salah. Well, maybe in the actual game itself, we've all agreed that it probably is most. But I think for the zombie team it is no Salah. Like for me, I haven't got a, a, I haven't got Salah in my zombie team because I've spread it out a little bit. And that kind of means that I've got kind of a greater quality of squad to get me. I think it's gonna be 50 points per game week for 38 weeks is gonna be enough to see me be fairly competitive in that zombie league, with the captain being on Norbamiang actually, because I think he's he's kind of the explosive kind of player. Um how are you guys approaching your zombie teams?
2: So at the moment, actually, I've decided to go for a slightly different approach. I'm gonna go for the I'm gonna go for five at the back for my for my zombie team as the starting eleven. Shocker. I thought I thought why not? You know, I'll follow the mantra and just and go big at the back. They're extremely big with five uh, premium-esque uh, defenders. So in, in goal, uh, I've gone for Matty Ryan and, uh, and Button as the cover. Um, I know that, you know, we've talked about how 4.5 goalkeepers, 4.9 million goalkeepers are often, you know, best points for value within the Premier League. So I thought, you know, try and spread the value more evenly, I'll go for a cheap goalkeeper. But um, in defence, at the moment, I've currently got and I've got uh, David Luiz, or SSB, as we've started calling him, in our Slack channel um, for Sideshow Bob, if you're wondering. I've also got a Manchester United defender. At the moment, it's Bailly, but that might be subject to change, depending on what happens in the next few days. I've got Benjamin Mendy, and finally I've got Michael Keane, who's, who's not my cover. He's um, actually in the starting eleven. And says that I'm the one. But um, in midfield, I've got Salah. So I have gone for Mo Salah um, as my captain. I've also got Mahrez and I've got Jota. And um, I'm benching at the moment, Nockhart, De Poitra and Masuaku as my three bench uh, players. But up front, I've got Harry Kane. So I've managed to fit in Kane and Salah who are going to be the big scorers. And I've also got an switch in there up front. So I've gone for a mixture of talisman, but I've also got some people on the bench that can come on who are likely to play for their teams as well, I'd like to Poitra, uh, for Huddersfield. That If one of my players doesn't start, because um, I've gone for mostly short starters, but if someone doesn't turn up or someone gets injured, there are some players that might get some attacking returns that can come off the bench as well.
0: So I'm still in kind of the throngs of drafting my team, so it wouldn't be fair to share the mess that I have on my hands right now. But what instead I would say is that what I'm trying to do is A, avoid injury-prone players and B, I'm going to just try and avoid uh, players who pick up yellow cards because I just don't like them anyway. And then I'm just going to spread. I'm going to go no Salah and I'm going to spread myself across the top six teams in a bid to try and benefit from whichever one of them happens to do well. I'll triple up on City. I'm going to triple up on Liverpool and put a spine through my team Outside of that, I'll just have a wishy-washy mess of a few other top six team players And Pascal Gross, that'll be pretty much the plan for my team.
1: Yeah, Pascal Gross is nailed on, isn't he? He's my vice-captain. I think um, setting the caps and the vice-captain to be very, very important. There's nothing worse than in in this sort of zombie league situation. All of our uh, month of having a zombie team, there's nothing worse, I anticipate, of having both your caps and the vice-captain injured throughout the course of the season. Of course, if you do change it, I will kick you. Um, But yeah, very interesting. And hopefully that should be something that we should be covering throughout the course of this season. Hopefully it'll be something that'll be interesting to cover over the course of the season. And for the top 10, we have t-shirts, made which say i survived the wta apocalypse thanks to uncle marco for putting that together right and i guess the final thing to talk about is current sides a massive caveat is that these are probably going to change completely i mean, 14 of my players 87 million of my budget is probably going to be changing throughout the course of this week i think i've gotten to the point now where i'm quite kind of settled with what i've got I've followed Nick's mantra. I completely uh, decided to start listening to him this year um, after a year of ignoring him last year and getting my ass kicked. So um, I've got you know, De Gea here. I've got Mendy, Robertson and Davis as, as my uh, back four, which is absolutely ridiculous. I've never thought I'd have it, but I've been swayed by the value arguments. Check out our points per cost stuff. It's very compelling. In midfield, I've got uh, Moselar, obviously. Jota, Bernardo Silva, Mares and Kearney. And up front, I've got Yang, and Arnautovic with a 4.5 camera, a 4.5 defender and 4.0 Wan-Bissaka Points or a goalkeeper, so yeah, in a 4 4 2 3 5 2 kind of adaptive formation, I think I'll, I'll kind of stick to that. And this could all change, of course, for press conferences or something. Pep Guardiola could decide, doesn't like Bernardo Silva anymore, but I think that at the moment that's kind of where I'm going with with my team. And I think that, um, I think in, ter- in terms of setting up my team to correspond with, with what we found in the preseason, um, is going to be where I'll go with that. Stag, what's the team looking like right now? Have you even started looking at it? The-
0: no, yeah, I've very much started looking at it really only over the last seven days. I consciously tried to avoid looking at the FPL website before that, except when I got my team ID of 49. That was about the only visit I made in July, I think. Um, so right now, originally I had uh, David De Gea nailed on in goals and then I decided, no, Manchester United are terrible and I've just got rid of all of my Man United players. I once had twi- I once had two. I had Juan Mata and David De Gea. I've now gone for subject to extreme change, Ben Foster and Ray Patricio in goals. So just a a not-so-rotating, just two options, two starting goalkeepers at the back, because I'm probably going to wildcard after about four weeks anyway. In defence, then, I've just tried to to, uh, reap the rewards from two of the better defences in the league. So I've got Benjamin Mendy and Andy Robertson then I'm not saying no to good value when I see it. So I have Juan Bisaka in, and I also have Phil Jagielka in at 4.5. As well as that, I have Ricardo Pereira from Leicester in my backline. You might have heard me mention him earlier in that he is a right back who seems to be playing out of position as a right winger at the moment in preseason. So I'm going to put him in as a slight punt and see how that goes. In my midfield, it has Salah, and then after that, it's pretty cheap, kind of in that 5 to 7.5 million bracket. I do have Bernardo Silva And then I have Pedro Pereira from Watford and Tom Kearney. And then up front, I have Lacazette, Aguero after his community shield and Arnautovic, who has had a brilliant preseason and pretty hard
1: to ignore. Oh, you've gone for a 3 4 three. Interesting, interesting. Uh, hopefully that's going to prove itself to be passé and uh, you're yesterday's man. But I'm guessing you're probably going to outscore me, aren't you? That's fair, let's be fair. Um, so, so, Nick, we come to you finally. Um, I've been posting my team all over the interwebs. Everyone knows my team, but you, you've been keeping it fairly close to your chest. I think I saw it once a few days ago. You were saying that Michael Keane was going to be your your Everton man.
2: No, uh, Michael Keane's not my cover. Got have uh, got Gilfie Sigurdsson actually as my Everton cover in midfield. But um, to run through my team there, I've got um, in goal, Rui really Patricio is going to be my goalkeeper of choice, I think, for hopefully most of the season at 4.5 million. I think he's um, a particularly good value pick. Uh, so I've gone for him like you, Stag. Um, And I've also got um, Ben Hamer, though, as my uh, second choice goalkeeper. It will be the bench warmer there. Um, in defence, it's Ben Davis, um, Robertson, Van Anhout, Mendy and uh, Juan Bissaka, who seems to be in most people's teams at the moment. Midfield, I've got Mahrez, uh, Salah, um, the aforementioned Skilfi uh Diego Jota and, and Tom Kearney. And up front, I've gone for Aguero um, and I had him in my team before the Community Shield, which probably means he's going to blank now, of course. Um, I've gone for not Chris Kamara, as we like to call him, and, um, and Uh So it's most likely in week game week one going to be uh, Wan-Bissaka, Kearney and Kamara as, as my sort of bench options um, to appear as and when, I haven't figured out actually which order I'm going to put them in at the moment. There's um, one that might be Wan Bissaka that is the first choice, but I haven't quite decided on that one, so it's something for me to think about. But yeah, that's that's my team, and uh, might you know, as I said, subject to change, might uh, might completely change depending on what happens
1: in the next few days. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing who emerges as the as the as the kind of the last must-have. We've already seen Josh King getting a lot of uh, a lot of coverage with the Englishman um, having done pretty well in pre-season. A lot of people kind of saying, yeah, he's he's forcing his way into us our thinking, as FFS said. But interesting to see how how the, how the template will form. But yeah, very very interesting. And um, hopefully it's not Hartbury Hotel in terms of the teams that we've chosen for the upcoming game week one. We'll be back after game week one for our first pod of the season. That will be on Monday because I'm going on a balloon ride on Tuesday, so we can't. We can't do Monday night, so it'll be on a Sunday record and uh, and publish. So hopefully that'll be good for everybody. Just to reiterate who we are, we are Who Got The Assist. You can find us online at whogotassist.com. You can find us on Twitter at WTA underscore FPL.
2: Yep, our lead codes are 516 441 for our main league and 280665-58277 for our zombie league and there's a theme um, to each pod as well and um, we've dropped some references and as always you may have picked up on a few you know dodgy phrases here and there but what was the theme last week tom and who got it
1: uh, last week it, it was quentin tarantino movies and it was got by james Drury of the uh, Fantasy football surgery pod we've been joined today by fpl stag thanks so much for your time
0: thanks very much for having me on guys
1: and as I mentioned we'll back next week for the first real pod of the season good luck to all listeners for game week one don't get too upset if you don't do very well it's a long hard season ahead it's a marathon not a sprint and hopefully by the very end we'll have assisted you all the way through the season thanks guys cheers guys Bye. bye oh it's a goal who got the assist who got the assist
2: Dirty Diana. I was trying to think about how we could get that. Dirty, 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 Dirty Diego.
1: <laughs> oh, Sports Social Podcast Network.